0: Welcome to Know Where to Run, with Christopher White. Chris in Tennessee, you're on the air, go ahead. What's up? Welcome to Nowhere to Run. Thank you for letting me into your audio device. Um, PID Radio says that. I think I'm going to steal it. Um, So thank you for letting me in your head and got a lot to talk about today. It's been a long time since I've done a Nowhere to Run episode. I have done a lot of podcasts in the last eight weeks, but they have not been posted on this RSS feed. People have been asking me, have I been meaning to not post the Mystery Babylon study on this feed and that has been intentional the thought process was if i post it on any one it should probably be the verse by verse rss feed which then is carried on revelations radio network if i also posted it on the nowhere to run um feed it would post twice on, uh, on revelation Radio network, and so I thought it was more relevant to put it on verse by verse. So that is the thinking there. But if the good news is, if you have, if this is the first you've been hearing from me in about eight weeks, you now have eight weeks of archived material, the Mystery Babylon study that you can check out in as many formats as you could possibly want it. I've got it in audio uh, and video. And then text as well, which is a a rare thing, if that's something that you're into. Right now, the text is just an HTML form. It's posted on each um, episode. But uh, working on, right now, putting all that into a PDF. So if somebody wants to put it on the reader or whatever, they can do that too. So that should be out pretty soon. If you want to, you can go to either the front page of the website here, Nowhere to Run Radio. There's a banner on the side that says Mystery Babylon Study, and you can find a link to any available format and that same banner is on verse-by-verse, verse, com as well. Okay, so what I think, first I think I should talk about some of the show notes, and then we're going to move into more important issues and things like that. The other show notes are pretty minimal. Uh, the TV show is going to be starting to record now actually have a date this next Tuesday and we should be able to record all four of the first episodes uh, on the same day and so they should be ready pretty soon i'm excited about it it is mostly a local ministry um at least right now the thought process is that i'm going to be making these television shows for the Nashville wide uh, you know, public access. It's a very heavily watched public access. Um, they've had sort of a famous guy who just recently died, but it, it it's, that was always on public access for years and years. And so a lot of people in Nashville watch the Nashville Public Access Channel. So I hope that it'll reach a lot of people. I'm trying really hard to make it relevant and make it questions that people that really keep them from the gospel and present the gospel and um, try to get an opportunity for people to get the Christianity 101 DVDs if they're interested. So that's the main goal is just local evangelism but it has the side effect of being able to force me to get serious about apologetics and create new content and new videos it gives me a driving uh... desire to put out new videos like the are all religions the same video that i put out recently and some of the others like legalism debunked and a lot of those were created um partially because well certainly the the last two the the, the one about the Bible um, I can't remember what I called it is the Bible accurate historically or something like that and the Gnostic Gospels and that one and then also the religions one they were created for the show and so it's going to give me a reason to create new relevant apologetics content also it's giving me a reason to study apologetics more to get more uh, you know in 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 tune with what is out there with apologetic stuff. So that's a side effect for you guys, is that I'm going to produce more content in that genre. and But as of right now, the shows aren't going to mean a whole lot to you because you've seen a lot of the clips that I'm going to be uh, putting there. Mostly it's going to be me introducing clips, at least for these first four episodes. Although I can see real quickly that it's going to start being content that will be relevant regardless of you know, if you've seen any videos or not, because really quickly, I'm going to run out of content that is relevant. So, um, so I'm excited about where it's going to go from here. I'm I'm sure it will evolve and I do hope it's something that we continue to do. But anyway, that will be cool. I just finished a really cool intro for that. Um, and I'll post that in the show notes and uh, it's to Bible questions TV. That'll be the website where it's at. It's got a site up there right now, BibleQuestions.tv, and doesn't have anything on there that much right now, but it should in the future. The other show note issue is uh, this show, Nowhere to Run, I kind of had a re-evaluation of what it is that I'm doing with my life, and um, trying to see what it is that, you know, i i I'm, as you know, I start a lot of projects and don't finish them, and always say well i 'm going to do this, and then i don't do it and um, I, i've just got i've got unfinished projects lying all over the place, and that's even now as i'm saying that i'm thinking of several that I have got to get to but anyway m- the the idea here is that i'm trying to take down a little bit of the things that i 'm trying to do as far as the many things i'm trying to do and just try to do the things that I am doing well and That includes this show, verse-by-verse, Bible teaching, uh, the Bible questions television show, the local evangelism um, with that, and also some stuff with the homeless and stuff, and then also the YouTube account. And then in addition, because I've kind of been more interested in prophecy and thinking about going in that direction, but I don't want to create a new thing that I'm not going to uh, update that much. But we'll we'll talk more about that in in a little bit. But anyway... What I want to do with this show is I just want to make it more relevant to people that are in the varying stages of, of, of you know, conspiracy, Christian, sort of this no man's land of, uh, but also I want it to be relevant to people that um, are really solid, sold out Christians too. So, and I don't want, I, I sometimes struggle with this show as appealing to certain people or um things like that and I don't think I'm ever going to really be that good at, at pleasing everybody so I think it still will be the kind of format where it's somewhat of a blog and sort of stream of consciousness thing with no real format but I do want it to be more relevant I want to start answering more questions I want to start taking the questions that I answer on a uh, with the emails um on Mondays and Thursdays and start making them into topics that we can talk about because it seems like I'm answering the same you know, 50, 75 questions just over and over and over again. So I might as well just make them public because I've done, you know, a thousand plus, uh, you know, audio responses for people last year and that are just, you know, some of them are an hour long, you know, and they're answering all kinds of questions And I just need to make those public. So I'm going to try to merge those two things in some way and make this more relevant and also talk about a lot more, of the issues that we're dealing with. I mean, we, we all are kind of going and, and know about the same things. You know, I could talk about uh, issues in the truth movement and you guys are all know what, what I'm going to say. So uh, you're talking about there. So I want to be more uh, um, relevant for, for that because I think that's what ultimately this show is, is talking to you all in that no man's land. And I don't want it to just be I don't want it to just be me ranting and not doing anything. I want it to be important and I want it to be useful. I have other podcasts for those other things. I think that's one of the issues. I didn't mean to just start talking about show notes, but I do want to sort of clarify all this before we get started and being relevant. Um, It will happen, I think. Um, But I create different podcasts to sort of segregate when I talk about different things. So, I would like to sometimes do verse-by-verse studies, but this, I think, well, this this show isn't really for verse-by-verse studies. So we'll create a podcast and call it Verse-by-verse Bible Teaching. It's like, well, I always want to talk about prophecy, but I don't want to talk about it. Here, let's create another podcast and just talk about prophecy. And so I think I've done that, you know, a number of times and... um Sometimes I want to play sermons or testimonies, and so I created one RRN Weekly just to play those. And now I'm kind of left, well, what exactly does this show do anyway? And I'd like the answer to that question to be something. <laughs> It's, there's been a lot of answers to that question over the years that I've done the show, but I'd like it to be start to be more functional, more useful to you, answer questions that I know that uh, we all have because I hear the questions consistently, and it's not as if I, I kn- knew the answers always or anything. It's because I've been answering questions and committed to answering the questions privately with people when I don't know the answers and then, okay, well, I got to go figure out what the answer to this question is and all. And so a lot of the times when people ask me questions, I spend a lot of time researching before I answer them. And so as a result, I've got a lot of just talking to do about really, I think, important and, and topics that you may have questions about. So I'm going to try to merge that, and this show may end up being more like that, but I can't promise that that's what it's going to be, because how this has usually happened is that throughout the course of the week, I have these different things I have to talk about, and then then that's what this show has been for most of its career, as um, things I have to talk about. Okay, moving on to what I have to talk about this week. Two issues. One is the magic of iPods. Um, I have always been a non-iPod person, and I, I had this really great. I still have it. This this uh, Samsung two gigabyte thing. It's like the. And I've owned a lot of cheap MP3 players. And this thing is was about fifty dollars. And I I lost one before, and I bought the same one. It's so awesome. it's called the M five, I think like something like that. Um U five, something like that. Little little tiny little lipstick looking thing. And it's just great. Just just really good hardware and software and it stays charged forever and I loved it. But it was two gigs and when you got two gigs, you can put a lot of stuff on there, but still you you gotta kind of keep it updated to make it relevant and everything. And I lost it and I eventually found it again, but I was like, "Well, I need to get another one." And I started thinking about iPods, and uh, I can't really afford an iPod as as such. But I started thinking about used iPods, and then I started going to to pawn shops, and I found a really cheap one. It's like 160 gigs, which is just a lot of gigs. The benefit of that was that I started being like, "Well, I'm just going to load this thing up since there's no limit to what I can put on there. I'm going to put like everything from you know these these Shows that I like, um, like a lot of verse-by-verse stuff, uh, Damian Kyle and David Guzik, and a lot of apologetic stuff like uh, Apologetics 315. We'll talk about that stuff later on. And I've just got this massive library, you know, um, every bit of the verse-by-verse from some of my favorite uh, uh, teachers and stuff. And also the Bible, a lot of the Bible in, in different versions. I, of course, love to listen to it um, in the King James, but I've, I've noticed listening to it in different versions sometimes helps certain things click that otherwise didn't click. So I've got a lot of, you know, just, I just got a lot of stuff on there. Um, but this is what I really wanted to talk about with that. We've never had a, this much opportunity to really understand the Bible and the history of the world. There is... You know, you could learn a lot by going to seminary or something like that, but you could learn more right now just by having uh, a commitment to listening to stuff about the Bible. And I want to suggest a routine, and you probably have your own routine out there if this is something that you're into. And I also want to say this, that when I first was saved, um, let's go back a little bit further than that. I was in a band, and I drove the bus a lot, and I listened to an MP3 player a lot. And the guys always used to call it the Conspiratron. That's what they referred to my MP3 player as. I always, I always had it on, and I was always listening to various conspiracy stuff, um, anything I could find. I just listened to it all the time. So they called it the Conspiratron. Now, after I was saved, uh, it slowly started you know competing for the conspiracy information different things i would find you know sermons by different people that i was in you know chuck missler always helped bridge that gap because he was a little conspiracy and you know a lot bible and so there was a lot of that And then it kind of started shoving out some more and you know it kind of got a little bit more and now um i don't even know what to call it um but it, it's not the conspiratron anymore and i am wouldn't want it any other way so somehow or another, somewhere in here, and this is something that I've consistently prayed for, and I would recommend you pray for it too, even if you don't currently um, want it. That's why we would pray for it, because we need it, is a thirst for the word and the things of God. Make that a consistent part of your prayer. Uh, but I would say, um, man, I really have been thirsting for the word of God lately. And the interesting thing about that is the more that you hear and understand it, the more you want and all this fruit starts to develop, just like Psalm one says. You know, the the person who meditates day and night in the Word, his tree is is planted between rivers of living water, and will bear fruit in its season. And so I think that that uh, this thirst for the Word of God is not just listening to the Bible over and over. It's it's chewing on it, understanding it. Um, let me give you some examples of what I've been doing lately, and I have just been reaping all kinds of spiritual uh, benefits from it. Um, I've been going through books of the Bible with different teachers. Um, First of all, the Old Testament. I kind of felt convicted that although I've read books of the Old Testament and gone through books of the Old Testament on numerous occasions with different teachers, I didn't really feel comfortable with a lot of books in the Old Testament. I couldn't tell you, for instance, I'm going through the book of Judges right now, or, or, you know, I couldn't tell you much about the book of Judges before. I could kind of quote some things here and there. Oh, that's where Samson is and those kind of things. But uh, I'd I'd really like to know it. You know, I'd really like to understand what the book of Judges was about. And you can get that by, re- you know, listening to it over and over and over. But I think sometimes you miss some of the just awesomeness of it. Um, and you get that, I think, through verse by verse teaching And not just one person going through, like one, listening to one series on it and then listening to another series on it. You know, that's, that could take, you know, a lot of hours, uh, to go through two, two different teachers teaching on the book of Judges. But when you're done with that, you're really gonna have a pretty good handle on the book of Judges. And when you listen to somebody who spent their entire week learning about one chapter in the book of Judges, you know they see an interesting thing they go look it up they go read commentaries they go look up what that word means they they find out all kinds of stuff about one chapter in the book of judges and then you go listen to them and you listen to them talk about that chapter they've essentially done the chewing for you in a sense um they've sat and they've they've thought about it they've pondered on it they've discovered things and they're going to tell you about those things during that hour and and that just has a really great way for you to begin to understand the books of the Bible. So I've been going through books in the Old Testament, but this is one that I really have been benefiting from. The book of Romans is something that, um, although, of course, you know everybody knows the book of Romans to a certain degree, and I could quote you all kinds of different stuff from the book of Romans and feel what, somewhat comfortable as a lot of people do with it, but at the same time, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of stuff. I, I mean, it's just an amazing book. It's what sixteen chapters of just some of the most intense theological discussion in the history of the world. Literally, I mean that that it, there is no higher theological discussion than the Book of Romans, and and it's not simple. It's uh, somewhat. Uh, you know, scholarly in a lot of ways, I mean, it's, but I mean, it's also, it's also not, it's just this perfect sort of mixture. But um, anyway, so I've been going, doing the same process with the Book of Romans, going through different uh, verse by verse studies of it. But I've also just been listening to it over and over. And I have been struck with the with so many things by doing that. And I can't encourage you to do this more with single books of the Bible, whether it be Romans or, you know, start off with a small book like James or or Peter or something like that. Instead of like these reading plans, which are good, and I think reading plans are good. I do reading plans. But at the same time, I think sometimes it's better not to just glance over the words once with your eyes and like, you know, race to the end. So I can say, I did it, I did it. But how much did you get? How much did you retain? I would say it's far better to... Stay with one book and just, and just you know, even if you're just reading it, if it's not a listening thing. If you enjoy reading, just read it all the way through. You know, if it takes a while to do that, whatever. And then instead of going to the next book, read it again and read it again. And, and anyway, so, I mean, I listen to this thing all the time. I listen to it sometimes when I'm going to sleep. It takes about an hour or so sometimes to go through the entire uh, book. I don't know exactly how long. It feels like an hour sometimes. But... I have learned a lot of things. First of all, as I've been saying, I think this is an incredible way to get it into your heart. Like I know what Chapter One is about. I know what Chapter Five is about, and what Chapter Seven is about, and the things that happen in Chapter Seven. And I could, and I've already found so many different ways to use it. Well, you know, and Paul says in Chapter Eight of, the, of Romans, and I might not know the verses that he says it or whatever, but I know, I know it better than if I knew the verse. If I could quote you a verse or memorize a verse, I'm not not discouraging that, but I think sometimes it's better to. To understand it and to be able to fu- to apply it better than it is to be able to regurgitate it, and you may not be able to say exactly the words Paul says, which i 'm not discouraging that again, but you can you can explain it and you can go through it with somebody um, you know certainly one one thing i 've noticed with that, particularly with the book of Romans, and, is that it is this defense against almost every kind of false teaching. It, it, it's like all there in Romans. It's like I'm, I'm hitting my head so many times. Like, I have been trying to refute these false teachings in so many different ways. And this book, like, couldn't be any more explicit in refuting all these different false teachings. It's like, why, why do I do anything else except quote the Bible to false teaching? Because it's almost as if so many things in the book of Romans is, are, is just purely, like, overlooked. Or not... I'm just impressed with it. Let's just say that. Um, But another thing that's developed with it... Because Romans is this great book about salvation and sanctification and, and sin and what that looks like in a Christian's life. And there's all this confusion about it, you know, because there's this very difficult dichotomy of... Well, okay, well, I am a Christian, yet there's still sin, and how do I deal with that? And I'm justified, but... But there's a sanctification process. There's all this sort of, you know, you know, question and, and difficulty in it. And I would say, don't settle for that. Don't don't feel like, well, I kind of get an idea of exactly what it looks like. I, I would say he he's pretty clear on this stuff. And um, what has developed in my life is somewhat of a new concept, a biblical concept, a more biblical concept on sin and. A desire to eradicate sin, um, totally separate from any legalistic way. I really feel like, even if I can't explain it exactly, somehow it's sunk in in my heart that the the desire for holiness and the and the importance of striving for holiness completely separate from the the fear of of condemnation and it's a beautiful thing and it seems to be like what this is all about and i gotta tell you it's been a great thing especially sort of going through the book of judges too and, and a separate thing there's this big part of judges where the israelites who, who have finally sort of taken the land um, and they were basically just to go in there and sort of drive out the remnants of who was there. But they got kind of scared when they came up upon some people that had some iron chariots. And although God had been um, you know, clearly with them every other step of the way, they didn't drive out the ones with the iron chariots. That's when it kind of got a little rocky for them. And they didn't believe they didn't, they didn't believe that God could help them basically with that. And because of that, not eradicating those issues totally, it came back to haunt them in a super big way. And it's this great picture of the Christian life and, and not eradicating sin totally. And, and for your own good, you need to eradicate it. But it's been a whole new wonderful thing that I think that, um, that I've been personally experiencing. And I think that I would just commend that to you. The book of Romans <laughs> its a really good book. That's uh, pretty simplistic. And I think you guys probably already figured that one out, but I do want to encourage you also mainly about learning the word of God, particularly in the, in the idea of, um, of one book at a time, really learning it and don't stop until you feel like, okay, I think I get what the book of Titus is about what is the book of Titus, like three chapters or something like that. Um, it wouldn't take you very long to really feel like you got a handle on Titus and go through a verse by verse study or two on Titus. Somebody I recommend that I have uh really great respect for him is Stephen Armstrong. He is the guy who teaches at verse by verse recommended to me by Derek Talley um, of the revelations radio network uh, and he is just a great teacher. Been going through him on the Book of Romans. If you're wondering about who to go through verse by verse with on Romans, I highly recommend Stephen Armstrong at versebyverseministry.org at least for one of them. If not, uh, if you're, if you're going to do more than one. Um, but here's another thing about that. In closing, in closing, is that you cannot waste your time with this. You you, you cannot. It cannot be a waste of your time (laughs) by learning the word of God in whatever form and it will reap spiritual benefits. You will be like a tree planted between rivers of living water. If you meditate on the word day and night, Um, the Proverbs, you know, the first parts of Proverbs continually give promises about the word, you know, it'll keep you from sin, particularly sexual sin. Uh, why Proverbs points that out like so many times? I don't know. Like read the Bible to keep you from sexual sin. Okay, great. Thanks, thanks uh, Bible. It just has that effect. So um, I encourage you, and it's certainly more than that, it's just a great, a great thing to to do with your life. Okay, so about halfway through the show here, and I want to talk a little bit about uh, prophecy, you guys. <laughs> are probably sick of of me talking about prophecy. And I am going to segregate my prophecy ranting. I think I'm going to try to keep it at the New Prophecy podcast, which should be forthcoming. By the way, there's not a lot of good prophecy podcasts out there. And uh, I wouldn't say not a lot of good ones. There's some good ones out there. But there's not very many of them. And I think that we kind of do ourselves a disservice when we Basically, just have prophecy programs that are like, what's Russia doing? What's Iran doing? You know, p- prophecy news. Because it's it's based, I think, on a faulty premise. And that is that the War of Gog and Magog is going to be the next thing on the horizon, which I think is a basically part of the Hal Lindsey hangover that a lot of us still have. And I'm not saying that Hal Lindsey, whatever. I'm just saying that that um, let's talk about Gog Magog. This is something that has been on my mind a lot lately. And just read a paper last night called A Fresh Look at Ezekiel 38 and 39 by Ralph H. Alexander, Western Conservative Baptist Seminary. Uh, I'll put a link to this in the show notes. Really good paper. I enjoyed it thoroughly. It wasn't something that um, I found just because I agreed with it. I found it because it was the only paper I could find that was talking about the timing of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Um, I literally was looking for any paper in the journals talking about it. I'm sure there are more. um, But anyway, this is what I found. And just so happens that uh, I agree almost completely with this guy. Except for the last part, there's some issues that uh, I would disagree with, but I think uh, he certainly means well. Um the basic premise of this paper is that um it is it is that the language of Ezekiel 38 and 39 is very clearly talking about the millennium it is goes to great lengths to talk about everything in terms of what the world looks like when Christ is reigning during the thousand years. The idea that there is uh, peace is mentioned several times in ways that just cause all kinds of problems for those that are trying to put Gog Magog wherever they want to put it. It doesn't matter if they put it you know, anywhere between whatever the beginning of the seven year period and to all the way up to Armageddon no matter where you stick it you're going to have a a big problem with the way that it talks about peace usually it said well Chris you know the antichrist is going to give them peace and and everything and I'm going to get to exactly what I think the problem with the theories about Gog Magog are but I think that What they're describing is essentially uh, the reason why I think it's dangerous to believe that we're looking for Gog Magog next. Anyway, this guy goes into great detail to talk about how it's talking about millennial language. And, of course, it makes complete sense when you look at Revelation chapter 20, which is the only other time that this word Gog is mentioned and it's obviously the same war. You have a besieging of Israel. You have God intervening, um, death by fire, and you know, huge multitudes dead that then become, um, uh, 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 as, as it says, you know, that's, the, that's the final reconciliation of the people. It's used as a memorial for all time. And that's kind of how it all ends, really. I mean, that's sort of the last thing we really know prophetically is what happens is the, in the millennial uh, reign. Uh, we'll, we'll get some more detail there in Revelation, uh, but I digress. Um, the main thing is is that there in Revelation 20, when it talks about the Gog Magog War, clearly it's sort of a synopsis of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Ezekiel goes to unbelievable lengths to be very detailed even in the way he he introduces sections of scripture you know Ezekiel on the 4th day of the 3rd month in the year that so and so I was wearing my I love New York t-shirt and it was kind of snowy no okay he doesn't do that but he's very technical in fact the last 9 chapters of Ezekiel are some of the most amazing technical specifications of the millennial um reign that exist in scripture it's it's the sort of it's the go-to nine chapters of what the millennium looks like. Um, Isaiah spends, you know, some time on it, but certainly not as much time as Ezekiel. Um, he's just a technical guy. And so 38 and thir- thir- 39 is talking about essentially, the last little part isn't, but um, the few verses that John gives it. And John in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 20, specifically says that this occurs after the millennium. So it's interesting that he talks about there in Revelation 20, this group that is that is more than the sands of the sea, that uh are gathered together by Satan who's led out of the pit at the end of the of the thousand years, led out of the pit, he spends that time to gather nations together, the nations numbered more than the sand of the sea, from the four corners of the earth. Okay? That's one of the things that people will say, they'll say, oh no, no, no. we're talking Ezekiel 38 and 39 is a totally different thing because um in revelation 20 it says the four corners of the earth but in ezekiel 38 and 39 it says gog and put and cush from and, and all these different sort of words but it's interesting that those four uh uh people that are mentioned or or nations if you will are from the four cardinal directions which uh, again i don't think that's a deal breaker in any way shape or form because of the language that john uses is sort of uh, recapping it anyway um just saying it put cush and you know two ball or whatever in Ezekiel thirty eight and thirty nine are the ones does not mean that John is talking about a different thing when he says the four corners of the earth. I think it's an extremely weak argument in light of the fact that everything else is exactly the same and in exactly the same context. If you read not just 38 and 39, but you read from like 36 or from whenever Ezekiel starts the vision. You know, Ezekiel in the fifth month and da-da-da-da and I was wearing the New York shirt and whatever. If you start from there and read all the way up to 39, you're going to discover a timeline that occurs in Revelation, in uh, Zechariah, Isaiah, Joel, Zephaniah. And it is um amazing. It's, I think... One of the reasons that people have sort of stumbled about the placement of the Gog-Magog war is because of a somewhat carnal, uh, I hate to say it like that because it seems like I'm putting them down, because I, um, but I think it's it, it, it's that Ezekiel 38 and 39 appears in the book of Ezekiel just before the chapters about the millennium. The Ezekiel the last 8 chapters or 9 chapters of ezekiel are totally about the millennium it's not it's not kind of about another time it's it's not overlapping it's just the millennium and so when you look at the book of ezekiel and you see 38 and 39 just before those millennium chapters you're thinking well this this war must come before the millennium but that is based now first of all i say that's carnal because I think most good scholars would recognize that it doesn't work out like that in in scripture, you know, especially with prophets, you know, that when they have a vision and they say, you know, the word of the Lord came to me, blah, 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 blah. And I, and he said this, it doesn't mean that that's chronological to what comes after it. In fact, a lot of books are put together, especially prophets and stuff, not always in chronological order. So they would know not to do that. But it's really tempting, and it's been one of the reasons that I've struggled with it, too. It's like, yeah, it all makes sense, but but what about that issue of it being just before the millennial passages? Well, there's an interesting thing that I think helped me to feel more comfortable with this. Two interesting things. One is that um, Josephus mentions that Ezekiel uh, left behind two books in Antiquities. I have don't have the reference here. But... There's a lot of discussion in the literature about what he meant by that. Some people propose that he was referring to apocryphal books, but that is that is unlikely for several reasons. There's no indication that those existed, plus it's there's no indication that uh that Josephus would have considered those authoritative. Um the other camp agrees that he was referring he was somehow saying that The book of Ezekiel that we now have circulated in two different sections. The question then becomes another camp that says, well, those two different sections were divided this way and that. The two basic ones that I can see are that some people believe it's basically divided in the middle. And there's another group that believes that Ezekiel 40 through 48 were circulated as separate uh, books, both written by Ezekiel, which would tend to make sense to me um, because of the other thing that I think may be extremely important. These books that I mentioned, Revelation, Zephaniah, Joel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Zechariah, all end the exact same way, um, and not just their ending, but the thing before the ending, and the thing before that, and the thing before that, are all the same. Uh, it's the day of the Lord, that is judgment uh, of Israel, uh, sort of a putting them through the fire to purify them, You'll you'll notice this in Revelation. Of course, you'll see the Day of the Lord passages encompass everything for Israel. Um, we won't get into the details of that, but you'll understand that. And then the pre uh, then I would say the the next part of that is the millennium. We see the thousand years in Revelation twenty, and then we see also in Revelation twenty the millennium ending and the Gog, uh, Magog war happening, and then we see the eternal kingdom, the New Jerusalem. So you have four things, the day of the Lord, the millennial kingdom, Gog Magog, and the eternal kingdom. Now, this is so interesting when you start to parse this out in scripture. And I've got a, a little uh, thing I'll post in the show notes of, you know, um, you know the thousand years then, or the, the Gog Magog passages would therefore be Zephaniah 3, you know, 1 through 11, Joel 3, 1 through 16, Isaiah 66, 15 through 18, Ezekiel 38 through 39, 20, um, Zechariah 12, 1 through 9. And by the way, speaking of, of that, it would also therefore mean that Ezekiel 39 was essentially the last um, the last part that Ezekiel wrote in that book, which would make sense with this theory because what I just read there, Ezekiel 38, 39 through 20 it, it doesn't, the, the Gog Magog war essentially ends within those passages of 38 and 39, and it wraps up the same way that you see in the other books with the eternal kingdom. It doesn't mention the New Jerusalem, but the language is clearly the same. One thing I've discovered is I've been, and I did the same thing I've been talking about here, I just have been listening to books over and over, um, and the same language pops out over and over. Just things that you wouldn't believe, like cool things, like Isaiah talks about. Um, you may r- recall hearing the idea of beating their swords into plowshares this is a uh, this is the idea that during the thousand year reign they'll no longer need swords so they can beat them into plowshares well there's this consistent theme of this kind of anticlimactic endings to everything where're like everything seems good the Lord is there he's ruling, and everything's great but then all of a sudden the language Happens every time, almost the exact same language. And I will gather the nations together, and I will uh, cause them to come against the land, and I will destroy them, and they will. They it will be a memorial for me forever. Something similar to that is seen in all these books: Joel, Zechariah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. But they all appear that that sort of. Language always appears just after this great anticlimactic thing. You think, well, that's a great place to end it, Lord. You know, everything's great. You know, the Lord is there and and, and they're they're, they're safe and peace. And that's another thing that you'll see once you start to parse this out, that there's always peace and safety mentioned about that period of the millennium. But it's never has this glorious, wonderful thing that we always kind of like imagine the millennium to be. We're always like, oh, the millennium, that's going to be like no more. uh, Everybody's going to be, you know, perfect and everything else. That is certainly not true the lord is there but there's still problems big problems isaiah talks about sin you know people that sin will die earlier but here's the issue he also talks about this they will still live a long time you're going to have people living for a long time but they still have to come to know the lord on their own god has no grandchildren what that means is that just because you're um Mom and Dad were, you know, followers of Christ. Doesn't mean that you will, but you still have to make a, a decision for yourself, and that is still the case in the millennium. It is. It gets so bad towards the end of the millennium. Now, this is. It may or may not have all occurred in that space after Satan is let out, um, but I would suggest that there's been a lot of people leaning that direction before then. I'm not. I'm not sure how it works out, but. There are enough people that want to sin against God in such a way to come against the city that he personally is ruling from. Okay, Jesus is in the, in Jerusalem, and they're all going to come against him. That, that requires some serious, you know, not rightness with Godness, um, to do that. And the number it says is more than the sands of the sea. There's going to be a lot of people at the end of the millennium that will do that. So we've got to incorporate that with our views of the millennium, that it doesn't end up really all that great. But anyway, you start to see this when you see these different passages. You're like, okay, yeah, he's there, and he's really with a rod of iron, and they're safe. But that's kind of all the good it says. And then, you know, they got the Zacharias says, you know, their their eye sockets are going to melt in their mouth. You know, talking about gathering the nations together and destroying them. And then the language always becomes, then uh, all this other stuff will happen. And it sounds... Uh, it's, it's a different kind of thing because that's where the complete completion of the reconciliation of both the Jews and Gentiles happen, that there really is no more anything else, no more sin, no more death, no more crying, no more tears. And that's when, if you, of course, know Revelation, that's when the great white throne judgment occurs. After the Gog Magog War and those final people choose to make those final decisions to come against God and everything else, then you you take care of that, Gog Magog War, and then you have the resurrection uh, the second resurrection of the unjust for the great white throne judgment, they are ultimately thrown into the lake of fire. And then you have the eternal kingdom that is described in the very last passages of Ezekiel 38 in the same way it's described in the very last passages of all these books. And this pattern is so consistent. And it's exactly the pattern that you see in the, in the book of Revelation, too. So what does this mean for you um, and, and by the way, the, the, the uh, well, should I get into that? The paper that I mentioned uh, agrees with that, except it uses the fact that there is a feast of birds, which which I would agree. The, the Ezekiel 38 and 39 mentions this feast of birds. And I think that's what causes many people to say, okay, well, Gog Magog has to be at Armageddon because there's this great bird feast that's not mentioned anymore in scripture about those who are gathered uh, to war against uh, God at Armageddon. Okay. So there's lots of parallels there too in Armageddon. I mean, and notably this bird feast, but there's a lot of things that don't match up there too. The the peace and safety and uh, you know, a lot of things um, the guy goes into other details, but there's a lot of things that don't match up with that as well. So what he does is he says, well, Somehow Revelation 19 is part is is not speaking of the. It, he says Armageddon has already happened, and he quotes uh, Revelation 16, and so this is post Armageddon talk. So he's talking about the, so it's just a clearer picture of the millennium. And I haven't really looked into that, but I think that he may just being be a little too simplistic in the idea that Revelation 16, uh, as we talked about in the, in the Mystery Babylon study, that it's sort of the play-by-play where then Revelation 17, 18, and uh, 19 are kind of zooming in on the, the play-by-play that has already happened, a very consistent thing that happens, really starts happening right in Genesis 1 with a broad overview of the creation and sort of a zooming in on some details with the creation as well. Uh, and it certainly doesn't stop there. It's, it's just a just a way that uh, there's a name for it in in, in, in writing uh, that is employed in the Bible quite a lot. So what I would say to that is this, that the the reason that I would disagree with that is first of all, I think that Revelation 19 is talking about Armageddon, but the bird feast there, I think what I would say is this, is that there is a type that is being fulfilled with Armageddon. But it cannot incorporate the entire fullness that is clearly given a timestamp in Revelation 20, at, that is after the millennium and just before the Great White Throne Judgment. The And here's another issue that I have with that too, that the Armageddon scenario cannot produce the numbers, I don't think, that the millennium can. In Armageddon, it just says, you know, the kings of the earth gather them together at this last moment, the, the very last moment, at the end of I mean how many thirds of the world has been killed by that po- point I mean there is just not that many people left alive first of all all those that were saved uh, all those that would potentially be christians most of those have been beheaded at that point the only people are left of unbelievers and of those they've been slaughtered like crazy to then to that point there when when John in revelation 20 notes that the the number of those that camp against the totally uh, they don't have any defenses because they don't need it. They, they're not in any trouble from their enemies. They're dwelling safely and securely. They have, they're abundant in wealth. They, I mean, it's a completely different picture than what you would expect in Armageddon. It just doesn't fit the thing. So, and I would say, if if the bird feast is the issue, and you consider that Revelation 20 talks about a, a number that cannot be numbered, come, besieging the, the beloved city, as it says, and I think it uses that language of beloved city to refer to the millennial Jerusalem. Uh there's been that, that particular thing is mentioned a few other times in scripture. and I think it points back to that. It says it, it doesn't say Jerusalem in Revelation 20 for that very reason, um, because as Ezekiel points out that when he caught, when he finishes talking about that whole city and giving the plans for it, the last words of Ezekiel 48, the last part of Ezekiel. And the name of the city is Yahweh Shema, the Lord is there. He gives it a different name, but it's clearly from contextual stuff talking about Jerusalem. Um, Anyway, so the point is, is that there are far more people that are going to be available for the millennial um, besieging of Israel that God will destroy we know that's going to happen. The best that anybody can say here is that there's a double fulfillment. If they believe that Gog Magog happens beforehand, they have to. At best, they have to say it's it's um, there's two fulfillments of it, um, complete fulfillments of it. But then there's of course another camp that would just disregard all the scripture together and say, ah, oh, it's just you know whatever. It's just allegorical. But um, but those of us who who take it uh, more seriously would say that it, that that it has to be either. Uh, double fulfillment or just at revelation 20, where it gives us a definite account of where a Gog magog war will occur. That looks exactly like the one described in 38 and 39. So what I would say is that you have a better fulfillment there, not just because of the peace and safety and everything. Consider this a thousand years of people. Isaiah mentions that if a person dies at a hundred years old during the millennium, they're going to be considered cursed. So you've got a thousand years of people multiplying where they're able to live long lengths of time will, call, will cause a huge population to increase, which would of course be necessary, similar to Noah's day uh, after the flood—a great need to to repopulate the earth. So, so huge population increase if you give that a thousand years. And so, the other thing is is that no matter which way you look at it, I think you're going to have a greater number of people at the end of that time. And and then, of course, makes the the point of the weapons burning thing that people like how Lindsay made such a big deal out of, you know, it's it's got to be nuclear weapons and all this stuff, and they're going to bury their weapons. The Bible makes it really clear that these weapons and stuff are wood. I mean, it talks about it very specifically. They throw the wood on the fire. They use it for fuel of their, you know, hatchets and axe handles and stuff like that. I think that the millennium gives us also a better understanding of a lot of these passages because we're probably not dealing with, like, cars and, you know, machine guns at this point either. I wouldn't be surprised if after, after the Lord is ruling here, we're back to horses, you know. That's cool with me, you know. I honestly don't think that I'll be here during the millennium. I think we'll be in the New Jerusalem. Uh, but that's another theological quibble I have with um, folks. But nevertheless, the point is that I think that the weapons are literally weapons that will be burned, demonstrating the sheer number of people that will be there at Gog Magog. Um, that There's so many people with so many weapons that you could go around and use those weapons for their fires, which it says is what it's going to use it for. Um, and that just, again, is demonstrating the great number of it, which if you start to parse this out and read the different passages that are about the millennial period and, and recognize that that's about the millennium, this is about Gog Magog, we're, and this is about the eternal kingdom. Because I think that we've had this great big problem of everybody reading these passages that are clearly futuristic in the Old Testament and just relegating to them to either you know sort of the sort of mixture of, well, this is Armageddon or this is the eternal kingdom or this is the millennium. But I think there's specific places these things go and i'm not claiming to have it perfectly correct i'm quite sure that i don't but i think i have a a good map to get people to start to think about this and i'll put this in the show notes again well i'm running out of time here but i didn't say what i thought was a problem with this and that was that i think that by people everybody looking at uh you know russia is gog and all these sort of ideas i don't know if you've ever looked into that but that is a, that is an idea that is completely disregarded by scholars. Even scholars that would prefer that to be true, it is, it is only a sort of layperson idea, a Howlinsey thing, hangover issue again. Um, there are so many problems with the Russia-Gog thing. If you haven't looked into that, start looking into that. I think the idea that all we have to do is wait to see what nations are going to attack Israel and then whoever delivers them from Israel, you know, that will make Israel come to know God. It is totally foreign if you um, if you understand this correctly. And I don't see how in the world we have come to believe that the Gog Magog War is the next thing on the horizon. And I think that's why there's no literature out there explaining that because it's a completely untenable position in my in my opinion, of course. But the danger, I think, in having all these prophecy shows out there. What is Iran doing? And what's this going to happen? And all we've got to do is wait to see what happens here. And then we'll all know that that's very dangerous because I think that the Antichrist will deliver Israel seemingly from their, uh, their enemies and make Israel seem to be safe and the capital of the world. And if we all are waiting for that to happen and whatever happens, we're going to believe, you know, hey, God uh, did that. Um, I'm not saying that, that believers will fall away, because I don't think that the that believers will uh, be deceived by the Antichrist. But I do think that it can do nothing but benefit the Antichrist. If we're all waiting on something that the Antichrist is going to use to his advantage, that, you know, it's just bad theology, first of all. And, and second of all, um, it, it's not the best thing we can do in terms of looking forward to what what's happening. And what the next events are and, and similar things. I don't think that I, in this podcast that I want to start, am going to do anything like that necessarily. I may at some point when I understand it better for myself. But I think right now I just want to do like I just did. And, and hopefully not have to do that on this show very much. Because I know a lot of you don't care too much about it. But um, but I I want to just just brainstorm with with uh with people and and discuss some of the stuff that's out there and and i I want to ask you all uh to pray for me as i end up in the show here, please pray for me for to be effective in this uh endeavor to be useful and to uh win the most possible. pray for the people that watch the videos on the youtube uh channel pray for the people that I talk to uh on on, on when I, with emails and stuff the the prayer burden that i have for them is more than i can bear it's there's so many needs and so many people and so many situations uh so much potential for people to be saved and 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 be transformed and be all kinds of good stuff but the prayer i'm not capable to, to even if i was uh even if I was where I need to be in terms of my prayer life, I'm still not capable. I don't think of dealing with the the, the prayer needs that I need, not for me necessarily, but for them. Uh, if for me, I do pray for uh, to be useful and to not 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 to be on things that I don't need to be on. I would pray for clear direction, um, to bless the things that I'm doing, to win the most possible, but but I, but to put things in my heart that God wants done, not things that I want done. And so I pray, uh, pray for those things and I ask you to pray for me too. Uh, thanks for listening. If you have any questions, certainly don't hesitate to write Nowhere to run 1984 at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in and letting me in your head. I'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to Nowhere To Run. You can download all of the archives to this show and others I've done for free at NowhereToRunRadio.com. Your prayers and donations are needed and appreciated. You can partner with me to reach many more people with discipleship, apologetics, and the gospel. Go to Nowhere to Run Radio to help support this ministry. Thanks for your time.